I've signed for two more books with with my publisher, um, Quercus, here in the UK, and so they would like me to do a book a year, and I hope I can do it. Um, I just every project is so different that the switch was a hard book to write, and it took me longer than than a year. I think it was the classic second album, you know? Like, everyone says it. Um, and actually, everyone says it a lot to you when, when you're doing that, which... <laughs> a lot of the terms for the sorts of books that I write tend to gender the book um, and say yeah. it's mm-hmm. women's fiction or it's chiclet. Chiclet, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I really like Uplit because it doesn't do that. It doesn't say who you have to be to read it. It says how you're going to feel when you've read it. It'll be film, um, and um, and we have we have Rachel Brosnahan uh, attached to star as Lena no um, and exec produce as well. So that is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It that is I love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel She's herself. So good! Wow, that's she an is, amazing yeah. attachment. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. I'm so excited to see what happens next. Hello, welcome to another edition of Bestsellers with Phil Williams and Natalie Jameson. And. Well, we'll tell you who we've got coming up in a moment. Before we do, a few bits of admin. Uh, first bit of admin is to shout out our listener around the world that we weren't expecting. So we've done quite a few of these already. <laughs> but we're very um, grateful for, even though we weren't expecting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, obviously, that the idea of this isn't to ridicule, it's to engender more support in that country for bestsellers. For sure. So according to the optics here, I can see, uh, we have... One listener. This is the lowest we've got to in our account so far. We've got one listener in Iran. That's pretty cool. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Does that mean so, is, are we now a... Well, we always were because I know that's how podcasts work, but we're a global <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we are, yeah. The <laughs> um, the people who host our podcast, Acast, right, they do a map for you on your login. And then they, they colour in the map like my four-year-old does um, with where the listeners are. I'm sure they'll appreciate you saying that. So hello to you if you are a listener in Iran, and if you can persuade some of your friends to listen and to download and subscribe, then we would greatly appreciate that. And also, and I'm being serious about this, if there's an Iranian writer that you would like us to feature on bestsellers that we've yet to discover, then you can send that to us on bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. That's our email address to get in touch, bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. Can I let slip um, another secret before you say who's on today's episode? The person who's on today's episode, you have the same agent as, don't you? <laughs> I do, yeah. I still find it really awkward to talk about that, and I don't know why. I really shouldn't, I know. Not from a trade secret point of view, just because uh, you don't feel you're the kind of person who should have a literary agent. Yeah, I think so, or it still seems really surreal. Um, and I will say who we've got on this week's podcast is Beth O'Leary, who's had an incredible year, really, sort of 12 months where she's two books down already. She's writing books three and four. And um, yeah, like she's sort of, I guess, the benchmark of of what one might hope to achieve. And um, yeah, we have the same agent, which is great. And also when you're in that boat that Beth's in now, it'll be really easy to book you for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you say that Phil but who knows people can change no of course it will yeah but no that'd be weird like yeah that's probably not gonna happen as in I can't envisage that happening yet but I'm sure it'd be great when it does can we move on so 
Beth O'Leary released her debut novel The Flat Share in April 2019 and her second novel The Switch came out in April 2020. Uh, frankly, I think it's been quite a meteoric year for Beth. Both are already bestsellers. The Flat Share's become a renewed lockdown favourite, I think, as well. Um, they're both funny, both romantic comedies and uh, she's made that career leap that some of us uh, dream of doing because she's now writing full-time as her job. Beth, hi. Hello. So what's it like to be doing your dream job? Yeah, um, it is. Pre- it has been, when you say it's been a meteoric year, yeah, it has been quite the year. <laughs> like, even when just, just sitting here hearing you say that, um, I still, I'm still pinching myself and thing, things just, yeah, like you, you kind of have to get normalised to it a bit because you can't just go through your whole life being like holy shit how has this happened am i allowed to swear sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a podcast you can say what you want <laughs> yeah, you can swear. okay perfect sorry yeah so i just <laughs> i still i still feel uh like I, I, most of the time i've sort of got used to it but then i still just have these moments where I, where I, I just go like what is what is happening like how is how have i got here um and um writing the switch as the flat share was kind of publishing was um a weird experience like go uh, you know when I started it we had no idea how it was going to go but by the time I finished it the flat share was a top five Sunday Times bestseller um so yeah it was it was quite the journey when you write the type of books that you write Beth where they're um I would say quite close to real people and they're quite everyday life things that you're finding the funny in uh, is it difficult for you to be writing one when you're just putting the other one out to to press um yeah i find one of the strangest parts about doing this job is the juggling of of all the projects that you've got on the go so like i'll be the book that i'll be talking about tends to be a book that i wrote i mean i wrote the flat share almost five i think five years ago now um and it only came out in paperback a couple of months ago so for lots of people it's their first time seeing it anywhere um and you know i'm still doing a lot of publicity around that book um and when did you write the switch and i wrote the switch um in 2018 sort of 20 to 2019 so um so even that's two years old now yeah it is and 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 yet it's your brand new release that's weird isn't it it's so weird and and it always means because i'm i'm also trying to do a book a year at the moment um and that means that i I'm already so I, book book three is a kind of editorial stage, and I I already have a I'm I'm working on book four, so I the book that I'm thinking about is always um one that no one else is interested in, and then uh, and then I kind of have to I mean luckily I haven't yet um written enough books that I forget any of what's happened in the previous ones. I met um Sheila O'Flanagan, we did an event together, um, who's who's sort of a giant of women's fiction and she she was talking about she she lost count of the number of books she'd written, but she said she thought it was around twenty five. And uh and and I think once you've done that many, you must really like be a little nervous when somebody asks the question about the character in book one. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, so is that a thing then? You want to do a book a year? You've already set that up as your your target to do? Because I did notice that both of these books came out in April. So are you an April release thing? Is that your your season now? Oh, my season. I, I, I like that idea. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I, I, um, I've signed for two more books with, with my publisher, um, Quercus, here in the UK. And so... Um, they would like me to do a book a year and I hope I can do it. Um, I just, uh, you know, it, it, I, it, every project is so different. The, the Switch was, 
um hard book to write and it took me longer than um than a year and so why was it so tricky beth i think it was the classic second album you know like everyone says it um and actually everyone says it a lot to you when when you're doing that which (laughs) which is in some ways helpful because you're like yeah it's fine that i'm finding this difficult everyone finds this difficult but in other ways you're like yeah yeah i kind of just just not going to think about that right now i'm just going to write the write the book um and in the end i i actually because there was just so much going on with the flat share i think it was hard to get my head out of that world and into this new one that no one knew about yet. Um, and actually, in the end, I I asked my lovely publicist to just stop sending me all the publicity around the flat share. I just as as lovely as it is, um, it was just stopping me from from kind of moving forward. And it was also I have this incredible ability to find the negative. And if somebody said something nice about the flat share. I would just go, well, they're not going to like the switch because I'm not doing that in the switch. So, (laughs) and actually I had to just let go of all the kind of the readers who were waiting for the next book and the publisher that I had a deadline with um, and just do what I'd done with the flat share, which was just immerse myself in telling a story. Does this mean, I was going to save this question for later, but as we're here, does this mean that you're quite close to, to Lena in the switch as a character? Um, I was actually just reflecting on that the other day because um, I I would have said no, I think, when I was writing it. And I was talking to a friend who who's, who had read it and said she really identified with Lena, who's a very, um, she's kind of very driven and doesn't really, isn't very good at stopping uh, when she's when she's working hard. She's a real perfectionist and not very good at making mistakes. And my friend was sort of saying that she really identified with that character. And as we were discussing her, I thought, damn, like, Oh, some of those things, some of the the things about, you know, where where Lena sort of struggles to say, this is too much for me, or I'm, you know, and pushes herself really hard. And I thought, oh, I don't really think of myself as doing that. But actually, it's been quite, uh, you know, it's been quite revealing. I think you do sometimes reveal yourself when you're you're writing fiction. We should probably tee it up, really, shouldn't we? And and we'll we'll get you to read a bit in a moment. But in, in essence, what you need to know before we hear this reading is that um, Lena has suffered a trauma which has affected her performance at work. She gets given a two-month paid holiday, which I think most people would sign on the dotted line for, but she's not really keen for that. She goes to see uh, grandmother Eileen. And I don't want to say much more than that, but then, but you can, Beth, because it's your book. Yeah, so the, um, yeah, the, the kind of the root of the novel really is a swap. Um, so Lena... Okay. I didn't want to give that away in case that was a big secret. Yeah, it's no, fairly I think that's on, fine to share. So... Um, and the title of the book is The Switch, so I think that's okay. Yeah, but you don't know who's switching what, do you? <laughs> true, not these days. True. No, thank you. I, I'm, I'm always grateful for people being careful about giving spoilers. Um, yeah, no, so so Eileen and Lena, grandmother and granddaughter, essentially swap lives for two months. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Lena gets a break from the city up in the Yorkshire Dales, um, and Eileen... Uh, finally has her adventure age 79 that she's always wanted um, and stays down in her granddaughter's flat in Shoreditch. So look, that's as much as you need to know um, before you get stuck into uh, the switch. Um, Beth's going to read for us as all of the re-authors do on bestsellers. Where are we joining it, Beth? So I thought I'd read a little bit from chapter four um, where, so we're quite early on in the novel um, and we're up in Hamley in the Yorkshire Dales and meeting uh, the Neighbourhood Watch, which is... uh, sort of crucial group in the novel they're kind of Eileen's I guess her group of friends who Lena has to kind of integrate with and and find a way to get along with um so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll start there excellent 
The Hamley Neighbourhood Watch is an unofficial association, but a thriving one. Crime is something that very much concerns the inhabitants of Hamley and Harksdale, despite the fact that in the last five years the only crime I remember occurring was the theft of Basil's lawnmower, which turned out to have been borrowed by Betsy, who swears she asks Basil first. Whoever you believe, it's hardly an epidemic of illegal activity, and a weekly two-hour meeting is almost certainly a bit much. Thankfully, I am now in charge of the Neighbourhood Watch, with Betsy as Deputy Watcher. It was agreed that Betsy could not be Lead Watcher, given her aforementioned criminal history. We've made the meetings much more interesting. Since we're not technically a Neighbourhood Watch, just people who like watching our neighbours, there's no need to stick to any rules or regulations. So we stopped pretending to talk about crime and just focused on gossip, village scandal and complaints about rival hamlets. Next, we introduced lots of free biscuits, provided cushions for the seats and created a sign saying members only for the door of the village hall when we're meeting, which has had the effect of making everybody who isn't a member of the neighbourhood watch jealous and everybody who is a member feel smug about being in the club, as it were. Betsy calls the meeting to order by tapping her gavel on the village hall coffee table. Goodness knows where Betsy got that gavel from, but she'll take any given opportunity to tap it. The other day, when Basil was being particularly belligerent at Bingo, she tapped him on the forehead with it. That shut him up. Though Dr Piotta did pull Betsy aside later to explain that, given Basil's recent stroke, head injuries would be best avoided. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, I think I will probably be like quite a lot of people in that I read the switch during lockdown and... I don't know if it was just because I was having a particularly low week or a really stressy week at work because I've been working full time as well, still from home. Um, and all I wanted to do was just get back and hang out with these characters because I was enjoying spending time with them so much. Um, what's it like when you're writing it, I suppose? I mean, we've already heard that you found the switch quite tricky to write at times, but the warmth that comes through the book, are you really conscious about kind of feeding that through everything you're doing? Um, I think character is what probably brings that for me. I love writing a character is sort of where I'm most comfortable, a character in dialogue. And um, and those once once you get to know those people, um, for me, there's a sort of period of time where a character can can sort of morph and change and they, they feel like my creation and there's something that I can say, okay, so, oh, actually, I don't want Eileen to be a cat person. I've changed my mind. But then they reach a stage which is lovely to get to where suddenly they don't feel like they're my creation anymore they're just people and then it would be ridiculous for me to say Eileen's not a cat person because I just couldn't because she is you know and that 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 moment when that happens I think is is when the real kind of I was gonna say the real magic but that's so cheesy but like the the kind of that warmth comes into the book for me because um I feel like I finally got this group of people and and they're like old friends now um, but I do always want my my writing to kind of have that um, cheer you up quality to it, I guess. Um, and and that is something that that isn't always, you know, that that does take some fine tuning because I I also touch on some serious topics in both the flat share and the switch. You know, the switch is in lots of ways a book about grief um, because both Lena and Eileen and Marion, who's the the mum kind of between the two of them. Um, are are suffering from the after effects of, of losing Carla, Lena's sister, um, and so it, 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 there were various edits where it was it w- wasn't as cheerful and warm a book as I wanted it to be, um, and it was just that process of, of finding that middle ground between lifting you up but also making you feel grounded. 
Just on that as well, I think it's really interesting how um, sometimes these books are are marketed as well because obviously you all of your books I think are, are being put out there as romantic comedies and as you were saying very easily you could have it could have been started by you know your first tagline could be you know united in grief or you, it's it's so interesting I think sometimes how how books are put out there in the world and and how much influence do you have in that at that point as well yeah I it's it's interesting that you say that you think they're both marketed as romantic comedies because actually I think that the switch is probably I would always describe the flat share as a romantic comedy um mm. and I've, I've wondered that about the switch it, it we don't really have a very good word for what it is although I don't know if you've heard the term uplit I was just about to yeah. mention it yeah so I really like I, I know some people aren't a fan I really like it I like it because it um tells you what you're kind of what the feel and mood of the book is instead of a lot of the terms for the sorts of books that I write tend to gender the book um and say yep. it's mm-hmm. women's fiction or it's chiclet, chiclet. um yeah. yeah and I I really like uplit because it doesn't do that it doesn't say who you have to be to read it it says how you're going to feel when you've read it yeah yeah well also and I was explaining to Natalie about I mean I think two years ago there was a, a trend towards misery lit and they even called it mislit did you hear that one oh no I didn't Mis- mislit yeah. <laughs> mislit was basically mostly memoir of people who had a tough time but you know it 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 was suggested by publishers that we would have a wholesome experience by reading about their miserable time you know oh i wonder how those people felt about being told that their memoir was mislit (laughs) yeah well i mean i know for a fact a number of female writers i've interviewed hate chiclet and i would imagine that i mean you know what with the male equivalent i think we discussed who suggested dicklet to us someone yeah i have heard that um and uh, and I actually I prefer the term chiclet to to women's fiction I think because at least chiclet has a bit of a sense of humour to it like it sounds like it's like I feel like the, the term women's fiction was like oh we've realised chiclet's bad so we're gonna call it women's fiction and actually that's like totally missing the point of the what's bad about it and and it's still saying these are books just for women because they deal with things that only women are interested in and and um and yeah that's why I think uplet's a lovely term um and I also like romantic comedy because again I feel like that's something that kind of tells you more about the mood and feel of what you're going to get in the book. Um, when you were telling Natalie there about some of the edits being too sad and not uplit enough and not uh, uplifting enough, uh, can you give us some technical insight into how you correct those? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's about um, it's it's a particularly difficult sort of editing to do that because it needs you need to zoom out a lot. Um, what you're looking for there is is like the mood. When I read this in one go, like somebody might on holiday like what's the general feel that I get from it and once when you've been doing months and months of line edits I just can't I don't know maybe other people can I cannot see that um and that's where having a professional editor is so incredible um honestly it's been one of the most amazing things about this whole experience of getting published has been working with editors who are so skilled at what they do and to look at they can, you know, my editor can look at my book and um, just seem to put her finger on exactly what's wrong with it. Um, and so they were really, really helpful with that. They would, um, but in terms of the sorts of specifics, it might just be, um, we need, uh, oh, wow, sorry, Phil, you're such a pro. You managed to sneeze totally silently there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I muted my mic. Oh, it's well just, done. Uh, the, the pollen count's so high, Beth. I'm so sorry. No, not at all. I was just like in awe. I didn't even realise you'd muted yourself. Um, sorry, what was I saying? Um, yeah, my editor can kind of look at my um, book and just put her finger on um, the, the the thing that I know is missing but, but couldn't articulate. Um, and so in that case, it would be something like maybe just saying there's one too many scenes where we see um, Lena, you know, feeling the loss of her sister can we just shorten this one just a little or um and and you start to get a feel as well I'm and as I'm writing like I'm learning this but um for when the mood is dropping so I will sometimes now when I'm writing I'll get a a feeling where I think oh I'm losing people a little bit here because we're 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 in the deep stuff and actually we really need just somebody to come in and make us laugh um because ultimately i I want to write books that are funny and fun and uplifting. And actually on that, so you're on the shortlist for this year's Comedy Women in Print prize as well. Um, That must have felt like quite an achievement to get as well. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. I love the award as well because it was only set up, was it 2018 or 2019? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember seeing it being set up and and thinking, oh my God, that's so cool. I love that. And um, uh, yeah, to be shortlisted is and in, alongside such incredible titles is amazing um particularly as I think yeah I, I've never like it was a real thing for me realizing that I write funny books I think it was it, <laughs> I kind of tried to wriggle out of it for quite a long time you know I'd say things like oh it's really easy when you've got like a funny character because they can just like you they can run with it almost as if I thought like I, it wasn't me doing it like I was going to such lengths to avoid saying like yeah no I'm I'm funny and I write funny books <laughs> um and I, I really vividly remember the the moment my first editor wrote um her first notes on the flat share and she'd written in the margin I've I've stopped writing every time I said I wrote I've laughed like I've stopped writing ha ha uh, but you're a very funny lady and just looking at that and like having like a really belated penny drop moment like having sold this book to publishers as a romantic comedy it was sort of the first time I thought oh that that's me that did that that means I'm funny <laughs> and um it's been interesting with the quit prize to yeah. just talk about women and humor I think yeah for sure again it's all about labels often isn't it I'm wondering when you first started writing your first book so with a flat share if it came out how you imagined it would do as in so I did a, a writing course uh with uh, Faber which I really enjoyed but a lot of the books that I read I read a whole range of books, but I read literary fiction and some thrillers and what's so-called women's fiction. But the way that I write wasn't how I thought I was going to write. <laughs> when I actually sat down to do it, I kind of thought I'd obviously be a lot better. Uh, yes, but I is. kind of, I'm I think you can only point. write the way that you write. And and, <laughs> and I was I was sort of disappointed that some of the books I hold in really high regard, which are obviously things like The Secret History by Donna Tarp, I could that's not what comes out when I sit down and write at all. And it was quite a revelation to me that, oh, okay, well, I can't really force it. So I'm just going to have to go with how I do it. Was there a similar thing for you at all? Um, Yeah, there's a great, I think it was Katie Ford who said um, that my novels go downhill from when I write the words chapter one. And there is definitely something in the fact that in your head, when you've had the idea, it's the best idea that anyone has ever had and you just think it's going to be the most beautiful novel and then the process of of writing it down is sort of in some ways a process of great disappointment (laughs) and then you kind of make it better again when you're uh when you're editing and for me a lot of the work of writing is 
the editing. Um, my first draft is always just a splurge. Um, and then I usually, it's like almost like I'm in a trance. I just, I write really fast for first drafts and then I read it, which is always horrible. Like when I, I mean, it's hard to even sit in the chair and read it. Like I, I, squ- I physically squirm reading my first draft. Um, and then I kind of look at it and then I'm like, wow, like, what is this? Where did all this come from? And how, and how do I make it the story that I want to tell? And, and, and then that's when the work kind of really starts. Um, but yeah, the flat share wasn't quite the story that I thought it was going to be. So I, I, I so the, the concept of that book for anyone who doesn't know is that two people share a one bed flat, but don't meet because one of them works nights and the other one works days. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be a romantic comedy um, and I, I knew I wanted it to be a fun escapist read. Um, and the the depth in that novel really surprised me. Like the, the characters' backstories j- just sort of crept up on me. And actually when I was getting it ready to send out to literary agents in the hope that, that someone might want to publish it, I was quite worried about that because I thought like I've tried to write a, r- a romantic story and I've I've ended up introducing loads of serious themes into it and I'm like writing this cover letter saying fun read about two people sharing a flat and also there's loads of stuff in there about emotional abuse <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of felt like oh god what, what is this that I've uh, that I've created but actually um I'm so glad I did that now and I'm so glad that I didn't change that because I think for me that's actually part of what I write is uh, you know comedy which also has has some a little bit of grounding and, and darkness in there too oh ben elton always says if you mix serious with funny you get seriously funny that's oh kind of that's strategy. a great line yeah that's one of his but i wanted just to take you back to what you just said to natalie about that award that you're nominated for and about um being a funny woman do you think that um funny women i mean it's become a tag in its own right now hasn't it how, how do you feel about it um i mean I at the moment still feel quite excited to be one because it's quite a new discovery for me. <laughs> so, um, and what one of the did you really I, not know it beforehand? I mean, like when you were at school, for example, when you were in sixth form, whatever, were, were you not the funny one? Oh my god, no! I would never have. I would, I would never have thought of myself as funny. Honestly, never. And and actually, I know so many women who say, "Oh, I'm not at all funny," and I. Like people who really go out of their About way themselves. to say, yeah, 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 will say, yeah. sorry, yeah. So they will say of themselves, I'm, I'm not at all funny. Um, and I now find it now. I now listen out for it because I find it really interesting, and I always try and challenge people on it because actually, often the people that say that are really funny, and um, uh, I don't know, I don't know where that comes from, but it, it does interest me. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I love about the the quip shortlist is how varied the list is as well like there's you know it's I can't believe I'm on an award shortlist with Jeanette Winterson who writes like you know really literary fiction and then I'm at the you know much more commercial end um and I love that it's celebrating how women write humor and and it's not it's not kind of treating humor as a genre in itself it's saying that like humor is something that's used in all genres yeah and I think we really need to get away from funny women and funny men either either something's funny or it's not it doesn't matter who's originated it does it mm. yeah um and and i think we do have this tendency to take books that are funny less seriously or think they have less worth as well which i i don't know i'm i'm like i'm i'm a recent well re- relatively recent convert to the idea that that you can fully read for pleasure like it was it was a real i kind of discovered 
um, commercial fiction in my early 20s and romance and, and rom-coms. And I just devoured these books and suddenly felt like, oh, it's such a joy to just read for pleasure and not be trying to read something that I ought to read or read something that I'm going to you know sound clever for reading and and it, as is so often the case when you're a little bit snobby about something you're just it just means you're missing out um and I felt like I'd been a little bit snobby about the sort of books that I now write and now I I you know I'm, I'm so glad that I opened my eyes and realized that that there's there's so much joy in that sort of reading that that's just about um you know reading for for, for joy and escape Beth that's the whole ethos of this podcast isn't it Nat? Yeah, no, it is exactly. And it's kind of always been my bugbear because I've always worked in popular culture and popular entertainment. And in a similar way, people are so snobby about certain films and TV shows that you might like versus what is supposedly high art or somehow different when Mm. it's really not. It's just that different people like different things. And yeah, it just kind of it really gets my back up. So that's exactly what we wanted to do with this podcast was just say it's fine. Like if you like reading and you like reading these books, enjoy them. It's it's mm. okay. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. we sort of feel like for reading as a, so many people I speak to feel that reading has to sort of be hard for it to count or in some way it has to be. And, and actually, and I, I, I find it and, and people can often sort of talk down to books that uh, page turners or easy reads. Mm. And yeah. it takes so much skill to make something a page turner. Like, how incredible that somebody can make you read a book in like six hours when you can't you don't want to you know get up to like get a cup of tea because you're so gripped um and that to me is an incredible talent so um you know that's i don't know why we we tend to sort of be down on that but the other incongruity that you highlighted is around comedy as well except when you said that i was thinking about the oscars for example it's very rare that a funny film wins an oscar it has happened but it's quite rare because comedy is seen as a bit throwaway. And you actually, especially in the current climate where the three of us are all locked down in our houses, we need a bloody good laugh, Beth. Yeah, and actually I think we so often use humour as people. We so often use humour as a way of um, starting conversation about something difficult or coping with something difficult. Like, um, I, I, when I think about this, I, I often think of what my when my um, grandma was poorly, which was actually sort of... Um, you know, part of that time when I was staying with her was part of kind of what inspired the, the switch. Um, and my family was sort of tag teaming, uh, going up to stay with her to, to kind of help look after her. Um, and there was this, there was this, this message that was sort of passed from family member to family member as people came and went, which was, um, oh, the, uh, the, the plum jam jar um, is not plum jam. It's a urine sample. So just uh, remember that that's just, just tell whoever's next about the plum jam jar. And um, this just sort of went on and it was, and, and it, it was a really dark, stressful, difficult time in, in all of our lives. We were saying goodbye to my grandmother. And then my parents turned up at the end of the week and they'd done a big shop and they said, and yeah, we bought some plum jam. And there was just this moment in the kitchen where everyone was there and we were all so stressed and it was so tense and everyone just burst out laughing. And the whole thing, we were all just in that time when you think nothing could be funny. We were all laughing and everyone kind of was brought together by that. And we, you know, that that was like a shared moment of of sort of joy in darkness. And actually that helps us to process things and it helps us mm. talk about serious things, that, that 
comedy so i yeah i think comedy can can do a lot more than people give it credit for yeah i remember once hearing um this wasn't an interview that i did but it was an interview that she did at the Cannes film festival emma thompson saying exactly that that you can't have true sadness without going through comedy first and how those exactly as you were saying earlier as well Phil, that those two sentiments mirror each other and if you want to get the best out of both of them you've got to put both of them in there so yeah um i wanted to ask actually about it's funny the things that people pick up on and I think there's such a keen sense for family in both of your books so far, and I assume maybe in books three and four, but we'll have to ask about that in a minute. Um, There was one that I wanted (laughs) to read to you um, from uh, The Switch, which unexpectedly made me cry. (laughs) And this probably says more about what I was feeling at the time and my own family. Hi, mum, she'll be listening. Um, So it it was this line which this isn't a spoiler at all, but it does come quite late on in the book, which was family can be so complicated, but if you just pick your own way of doing it, you can end up with something pretty perfect all the same. And uh, yeah, I read that and I was like, <laughs> uh, did was that a line that meant a lot to you when you were writing it? Or was it just sort of one of those happenstance things that came at the right time? Um, I actually do. I, I remember writing that line and thinking, yes, that's a good line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, yay! (laughs) Which is, I'm glad you filled it out because actually sometimes, you know, I see on kind of on Instagram and things, um, quotes that people style up or illustrate or pin to their walls, um, which is obviously a a very surreal thing to have your quote on somebody's (laughs) wall. But, um, and sometimes they're ones that I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I I don't even really remember writing that one. I I definitely didn't think that was any good when I wrote it. Um, But that one was one where I felt like... um, I'd said something I, re- I wanted to say. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I, my family is sort of a, a blended family. So I am um, one of six kids um, and I'm the only child of both my parents. So we're kind of, two, two, there were two families stuck together and, and we also fostered when I was growing up. So there were always two foster kids, um, usually at, at home too. And um, I think that has really left me with a sense that of that, that family is is what you, you make it. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's not, you know, if anything, that means it's more valuable um, and can be more meaningful. Um, but yeah, you can kind of pick, you can pick your own way of doing it. Um, and yeah, it, 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 the switch really is in lots of ways a novel about family. Um, I was really interested in writing about three, essentially three generations of women. Um, and Marion, the, the mum, we don't hear her story. She's sort of, um, it, it's told from the point of view of Lena and Eileen, the grandmother and granddaughter. So she's kind of at the at the center of the novel but but we don't hear from her um and that really interested me too that kind of how you can sometimes feel closer to someone who's one generation along and 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 actually being in that position as daughter and mother in the middle um you know marion was an interesting character again this sort of runs through both of your books and i know it's sort of in the in the press blurb that i read as well about how keen you are to enliven if you like uh older people in your books and make them something different and um I remember chatting to Dame Harriet Walter last year actually who I think is a brilliant actress and she was saying she only wants to take on roles where where older women and she's only in her late 60s but older women aren't calcified and she wants to show that you know actually they can change their opinion and you know they're still smart and engaged and interested in other things around them um and I get a sense that's something that's quite important to you as well Beth. Yeah, writing Eileen was was um, 
such a fun experience in from from that um i really wanted i mean actually when i initially had the idea for the switch um it was going to be a younger woman stepping into her grandmother's shoes when her grandmother was was poorly um and it kind of grew out of that time that i spent with my grandma in that little village where she lived um and the kind of community that that she had there and thinking what would what would happen if a younger person was thrown into this community and had to fill her grandmother's shoes and then after I lost my grandma and when I was working on the novel, I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to write a grandma who was sick or dying. Like for starters, I, I didn't really want to reflect on that time. I wanted to reflect on my grandma when she was at her, at her absolute best a few years before. Um, and also I think actually we see that quite a lot, you know, we, we, we see characters who are older and dying of cancer or have dementia um and I you know wanted to write a woman who was 79 and at the start of her adventure not at the end of it um and so that's kind of how Eileen was was born and then um something that I I volunteer or in the time pre-lockdown when you could do such things um I volunteered every week with with a a a local um lunch club for isolated older people in my area a little bit like the silver shortages in in the switch they were the inspiration for that um and that was um so eye-opening for me honestly it was it was an amazing it, it has been an amazing experience i miss them very much now that i can't see them um you know they've become a, a group of friends to me um they're just all over the age of 80 um and uh and they they were amazing in writing helping me kind of create eileen who you know, I hope is is full of life and character. Um, and I mean, it doesn't need saying, but like there is no typical 79 year old in the same way there's no typical 19 year old. <laughs> and um, it was really important to me to like acknowledge that in, in writing those characters. Um, and I had so much fun creating the Neighbourhood Watch um, who were sort of Eileen's friends. Um, and uh, and yeah, they. I mean, as I say, I love writing character. So they gave me such such opportunity there. <laughs> Well, she certainly has a a number of adventures. <laughs> there we go. So we're all on the same page there. Beth's smile lets me know. She knows what I'm getting at. So <laughs> did did that come from your volunteer group? Are they all quite open about talking to you about sex? Yeah, yeah. They actually they actually were very surprised. I was surprised by how open they were talking to me about relationships and sex. Um, but also some weird research, <laughs> some weird Googling <laughs> was involved in writing that. <laughs> um and uh very enlightening about what sex is like when you're in your 70s um not something you really think about when you're in your 20s but um something that i i really took from the kind of reading and research that i did around eileen's character and the talking to people um a question that i always asked was do you think falling in love feels different depending you know when you're older um and just unanimously the answer i always got was yeah, we look for different things and maybe you, you know, go in a bit more carefully and maybe you're less sort of judge somebody on, on what they look like. But the feeling of falling in love is exactly the same, whether you're 14 or 80. Um, and I found that so hopeful and lovely, like that, 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 that no matter how sort of cynical you've become or how much the world has hurt you, that, that feeling of falling in love doesn't change you still get every a lot of people compared it to being a teenager and and sort of people said that it's like you still get that sweaty palms and you know lose suddenly forget what you want to say and (laughs) (laughs) 
that's lovely and that the general giddiness around oh, some the person i like likes me exactly the giddiness that's the perfect word for it um i wanted to ask as well about i know we're flip-flopping a little bit between the switch and the flat share uh but in the flat share which i actually read after the switch one of your characters the female character is light-skinned or white and the male character is dark skin and how key that was for you to get into that book and was it difficult at all to navigate those waters um so yeah in the flat share um tiffy is ginger and white and leon's described as having light brown skin and dark brown curly hair um uh, and so i you know i i think it was more for me about i wanted to write a novel it was a novel set in london um i wanted to write a novel that kind of reflected the london that i saw and that meant having a diverse group of characters um but i equally i didn't feel you know i didn't want to kind of tackle um the, the kind of that experience as such and talk about kind of directly talk about race really so it's sort of trying to find that that way of of, of still reflecting and 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 um you know kind of normalizing it and not writing a kind of entirely white group of friends which i i felt was important to me um and yeah like you say doing that sensitively I'm going to, Beth, I want to ask you that because Natalie was telling me that uh, this book that we've just read, that the switch, that this has been signed by Amblin Productions. Is this right? Yeah, yeah, film rights. So we should explain to everybody listening that Amblin Productions is Steven Spielberg. It is, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg's production company. Wow, I mean, that's off the scale, isn't it? Did you believe that phone call when that came okay, so through? Okay, just pause for a second. Like, you, how, how does that happen? I was going to say, was that an email? Was it a call? What was it? Yeah, so actually, I was at volunteering when I got the email. And I just quickly checked my phone on the way back from the loo. And it was um, just this email saying, yeah, that, that, that Amblin Entertainment. I mean, honestly, it was... And then I can't tell any... I couldn't tell anyone, obviously, because it was top, top secret. Um, and so I was just holding this information. Um, and yeah, it was... Oh, it, it, it's still... I'm still reeling with that news. Because also I... I I kept it so secret um, until the announcement went went out a few weeks ago, um, and so really none of like my siblings didn't know when when that announcement until that announcement went out and the press release went out, and so it was just the most amazing day of everybody just being like, "What? Sorry, <laughs> Steven Spielberg." <laughs> and how are they going to do it? Is it a feature or is it going to be a, a say an eight part TV thing or a ten part TV? So it's it'll be film um, and. Um, and we have we have Rachel Brosnahan uh, attached to star as Lena no um, and exec produce as well. So that is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It that is I love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel She's herself. She's so good. Wow, that's is, an amazing yeah. attachment. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. I'm so excited to see what happens next. So it's going to be in the cinemas, hopefully, when we all get back to normal. Yeah, it'll be a while, I imagine, but that's the that's the hope. I mean, the key is, I suppose, I don't know how much you're into this world, but the key is to make sure that it moves now, that she's attached and that it doesn't slow up and then she jumps onto another bus. That's the... Exactly. I spoke to Graeme Simpson and they had um, Jennifer Lawrence attached for the Rosie Project. Wow, and then really? It didn't get it didn't get progressed at the right amount of speed and she jumped off onto another film and that was her gone and oh. it's just, you know... Oh, well, right. did, did you not? I was going to say, did you not hear earlier where Beth was saying she focuses on the negative when people talk about things? So it'll be fine. Rachel Brosnahan will come through. She'll exec produce. She'll star. It'll all be good. Um, but I mean, from a a, a fan girl perspective as well, who also loves the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, does this mean have you had conversations with Rachel Brosnahan already? I mean, she's obviously read your book, which is incredible enough as it is. 
I know it is amazing, isn't it, that she's read it? Um, yeah, we have we have exchanged the the odd message. I have Rachel Rosdan's email. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty mental. <laughs> like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's 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 been a it's been a surreal thing, really. Um, but uh, yeah, just just <sighs> something. One of those things that you kind of have to let sink in slowly. I think. Yeah, and you're gonna have to just. There's no choice for it. Once you're allowed, you're gonna have to go out and be on set and everything, aren't you? It's just the only way. <laughs> I have had a lot of um, friends and relatives request cameo roles of some sort <laughs> since since the news went out. So I'm having to do a lot of explaining that no, I can't make sure that you're going to be at the premiere, random person. <laughs> <laughs> but on a kind of on this sort of work side of that, how involved do you want to be? in the adaptation anyway is that something you're interested in doing some of the writing with as well or or do you kind of want to let other people take that yeah so i'm um uh lined up to exec produce um yeah (laughs) um and uh, i'm sorry i just i literally can't say that with a straight face um maybe at some point i'll get to be like professional enough that i'll be like yes of course i'm I'm exec producing as opposed to being like (laughs) i'm exec producing um but um the writing is is so we have a writer um becca bowling attached um so she she will be writing and yeah we'll just see what being an exec producer involves casting um saying casting i think it does involve doesn't it well it kind of depends i think i mean we're, we're as we're kind of moving forward it's st- it's still so early it's kind of just figuring out exactly how that's going to work with all of the people that are involved but yeah um i'm uh, i'm very excited and you're going to get to meet Spielberg or not? I mean, what does he do these days? Does he hang around? I don't know. I imagine, I mean, travel seems to have, I mean, the, the idea of kind mm. of going to LA for a meeting at the moment is a bit, uh, mm, looking true. a little bit unlikely, but um, you never know, maybe one day. One day when COVID's gone, Trump's gone, you can actually get in without having to fill out a million forms. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> I like that. I think it's in both books. There's just a small, not very big, just a small dig about Donald Trump as well that made me smile when I was reading them. <laughs> Yeah, I actually I got a bad review in America for that. Um, Did you? Yeah, somebody somebody said that it was inappropriate for me to comment on politics from a different country. Um, Have they not not read Stephen King? Have they not read Lee Child? Have they not read Michael Connolly? I mean, others. Also, it's really only as the butt of a joke. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's it's a tiny thing, but it's it's amusing. Depending, I suppose, I'm glad where you tickled stand you on the political spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> no, it did. It was very funny. It was very funny. But um, I guess the other thing as well is I was trying to have a look around to see what's happening with the flat share. Is that being adapted to at all? So <laughs> the flat share has been optioned for TV, um, but I can't really say any more about that at the moment. Um, which So that is still in the category of secrets that I'm carrying. <laughs> But I mean, in general terms, where you don't blow any secrets, is that British TV or US TV? Um, I'm oh, two secrets, still two secrets. Yeah, that sorry. That, even that's too zoomed in. Well, it's more just that I'm worried I'll say something that um, I'll get in trouble for. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll, I'll just. I'll just f- f- draw the line at saying that I can't tell you any more than that it's optioned. Okay. Um, well, let me just ask one more though. I've got a friend who's had who's had his book optioned. Again, you know, it's been optioned for a while, but it is yours sounds like it's more optioned than it's going to get done. It sounds like it's further down the line. Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest, oh, enough okay. about the process to know whether that's definitely the case. It's not greenlit, I guess. Is that the word? 
um but i think that's when you really really know it's happening um yeah and these things just take so long like you think that the publishing world is pretty uh slow um but it does uh it, it does seem to you know that the film and tv world seems to maybe be even slower yeah well listen let's hope you know good luck and, and at least you've got yeah. if you know if all that's fair just phone rachel again just phone your new mate <laughs> just drop, <laughs> drop rachel a line yeah yeah <laughs> Just on that, actually, is there anybody else that you've seen? Because obviously people talk about books a lot on social media as well. Is there anybody else of your, you know, film or TV or celebrity heroes that has sort of added you to say, oh, I'm reading either of your books? And you've been like, oh, I mean, um, just like some of the people, I mean, Marion Keys read and quoted for The Switch and The Flatshare and that she did a little video on her Twitter where she was like, oh, I'm reading The Switch and loving it. And um, I honestly felt faint. Like I, re- I had to sit down. <laughs> like I've never, I've never fainted from news before. <laughs> but um, she's an absolute, you know, one of my absolute favourite authors. Um, and to see her holding my book and talking about it um, is a total dream come true. I think, I, I think that is probably one of the highlights of what's happened to me is, is seeing her saying that she was you know, enjoying reading my book. That is pretty cool. And is there, can you tease anything about books three and four? Do you want to? Again, I don't want to kind of land you in stuff you don't want to talk about, but any themes or what you're exploring? So, well, I can say, I can tell you what book three is called. I'm not telling anyone. Nobody knows anything about book four yet, apart from my boyfriend and my agent. (laughs) But uh, yeah, book three is called The Road Trip. So that gives you a little bit of a hint about what it might be about. <laughs> I, was, I was just waiting for more of a hint. I mean, like, you know. Oh, well, I'll tell you, it's, it's the road trip and it is, uh, uh, it's got a love story at its heart again. Um, nice. And it's war- it, it, it will carry on your trademark warmth. Yes, I hope so. I hope it has that mix of, of serious and ultimately uplifting. That's what I was going for. Can we get your book recommendations then, Beth, please? Uh, if someone phoned you up and said, Beth, I've got nothing to read, but it can't be one of yours. Okay, yes. Um, I have... Th- how many am I allowed? <laughs> as many as you want, because you are Beth O'Leary and you know Rachel Brosnahan. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You've got to stop asking for permission to stuff, haven't I? <laughs> um, yeah, so first is um, a novel called <laughs> To Lahore With Love um, by an author called Hina Blitz. Um, this is such a beautiful warm book um and there's something really special about it but the first thing i'm going to say about it is the prologue is like a masterclass in writing it's um it starts with a and i'm this is literally two pages so i'm not i'm not giving anything away but it starts with a woman coming home and her husband's in bed unexpectedly and she goes into the room and the cupboard door is open and she you know and she knows that there's a woman in in the room and that is a scene we've seen lots of times before you know a woman comes home and her husband's cheating on her but what makes it so original is as she there's this build up as she approaches the door and approaches the door and puts her hand on the handle and then she just clicks the cupboard door closed again and it just it just got me from that moment because i was so fascinated by this woman who would come home find out that her husband was cheating on her and then close the woman in the cupboard instead of opening the door to find out who it was um and so from that moment i was totally gripped and then what's so special about the book is addy the main character um is a, a chef and she really believes that food has the power to um move you or change your mind um and so dotted through the novel are her recipes for things like um oh let me get an example because they're they're absolutely brilliant um 
amorous chili chocolate or make it better tea rice um serenity flatbread um and so uh, and it's so at the same time as being a really beautiful story about kind of love and finding herself again it's also just full of things that make you really hungry (laughs) um so that's my first recommendation perfect um my second is a book called such a fun age by kylie reed um and this would be it's such a good like this is always my book club recommendation because i feel like it's a perfect book to discuss with people um just because it's the kind of book that you just you're totally gripped by and then you're also just like i need to talk to someone about this i need to know what someone else thinks um uh, and so the concept of that is um this character amira who's a young black woman who's looking after a white child is stopped in a supermarket by the security guard who doesn't believe that she's should have the child with her and doesn't believe that she's the babysitter um and the novel kind of unravels from that moment um and just sort of maps everything that follows and it's told from the perspective of the child's mum and the babysitter um and it's just it's so gripping um and just so subtle and nuanced and everything is told with such depth and 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 it's a debut novel i just can't believe how good it is um so yes that is my my second one um And my last is um, a book called The Sight of You by Holly Miller, which I think is out in July. Um, And um, that has one of those concepts that you just think, oh God, why didn't I think of that? Um, And it's about a a man who can, he dreams the future for the people he loves. So um, he knows when something bad is going to happen to, you know, his brother and and in, obviously in some ways that's incredible because it means he can sort of do try and step in and, and sometimes he's able to save people. Or, or um, But it's also a huge burden, especially when you're falling in love. Um, and he meets a woman called Callie and falls in love with her. Um, and yeah, without, I don't want to give too much away, but um, it's a really heart-wrenching, um, beautiful, atmospheric, like epic love story. Um, it's already out, Beth. I've just checked. It's available oh. to download on the Apple Bookstore. Oh, is it? Sorry. Yeah, great. Moment. Well, yeah, then so you can buy out. it now. Perfect. It's getting some amazing testimonials. Exquisitely written, incredibly moving, impossible to put down. Do you know who said that? Uh, I believe that might have been me. <laughs> it was you. Well done. I'm just checking. You can remember your own testimonials. What a great quote. Great quote. <laughs> <laughs> so well written. They're amazing. I really want to read um, from from Lahore with love because um, that sounds like I remember again years and years ago reading like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. Uh, it's so good, but similarly, it's um, it's really emotive, and there are recipes that are sprinkled throughout the text. And again, Phil thinks it's hilarious that I really enjoy reading cookbooks as well. So this is my perfect blend of a bit of cookbook and fiction. This would be perfect for you. I also love reading cookbooks. So that's probably why I loved it too. (laughs) As in like cover to cover? Oh, no, I'd like dip in and out. (laughs) No, no, this is what I mean. No, Natalie will sit in bed with a cookbook and read it like the way you would read your book. Oh, okay. That is unusual. (laughs) But (laughs) do, do you not like... What, are you looking for things that you might want to cook or are you just reading it just for the pleasure of reading about food? Yeah, a bit of both, really. So I, I really like the ones um, that have like a little bit of cultural history about the recipe as well. So or have unusual things about them or where they found them or where they got them. So I like that. And then also I do a bit of menu planning as well. So like I'll kind of make a list and then I'll cook them the next week. Wow. So yeah, both. Maybe I should try it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really good and it's really relaxing as well. It's a really good way to kind of get your brain into a zone uh, where you're not thinking about anything else, apart from you do get a bit hungry sometimes. 
But that's fine too. Beth, it's been amazing. And I also love that uh, you are still really um, modest about talking about how good your writing is and all the incredible things that have happened to it. And I uh, aspire to be similar. Phil finds it amusing that in a similar way, I, I still can't say I've got a literary agent without like, not being able to let the words come out of my mouth very well um so I empathize with your feelings about that (laughs) I'm always bigging her up Beth I'm always saying yeah yeah Natalie's signed she's going through edits at the moment the debut will be out very soon and she's going stop saying that to people that's not true and I said well it is true (laughs) have you got an agent yes are you going through edits yes I'm on my second set right shut up then there you go yeah can't can't deal with it Beth it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for talking to bestsellers we've loved having you on oh thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure Oh, I could have spoken to Beth for ages, but then that probably would have bit, been a bit weird. But I thought she's really cool, and I really liked chatting to her, and she's really talented. It's great. I really liked it as well. Now, I tell you what I loved about her was um, she's genuinely humble. That's not... You can't mm. act how humble she is about the success she's had. She does feel a bit no. like, is that me that you're talking about when you ask her about the film and all the rest of it, which I thought was really endearing. I also thought she was really fascinating on comedy and women in comedy because I know it's been a a long spoken about subject I find it deeply frustrating because I just don't see why gender should come into it at all frankly I think stuff's funny or it's not and um, so that was refreshing to hear her speak so candidly about it yeah and and that goes for so many labels I think that people put on people and things so you know how they'll call books whether they call something black literature or women's literature it's like it's all books right and you're going to read it if it's good so some of that is just so lazy and stereotyped and I thought she was really coherent in describing it in relation to her work yeah and the hope's got to be hasn't it the ambition has to be that at some point we stop bringing in gender into it and we just say I read a really funny book yeah I read a really happy book I read a really sad book you know rather than oh I read this book by this amazing black writer I read this book by this amazing woman it's like just say you read an amazing book, I think. Yeah, exactly. Am I being naive? Uh, well, I would hope not because I believe that's where it should be now, right? But it clearly isn't because people do put labels on things and bring prejudice with that. But it should very much be that you enjoy the book for what it is, not because of the race or gender of the person that wrote it. There's one other important thing I would like to say to you about this episode Mm. and I think context is everything and I want you to know because you could be listening to this months after we did it or you could be listening to it the day it comes out but I want you to know that the day we recorded it was one of the if not the hottest days of the year (laughs) I knew you were going to say that we're not allowed to have any windows open because they interfere with the recording and I just want you to know that currently I'm down to two stone and my shoes have melted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also, like, I think you missed this right at the start, but um, Beth was saying how she was in the hottest room in her house as well. And she looked so cool. She looked, you know, kind of just fresh. And I felt like I was red faced and sweaty. And yeah, I, I don't do summer well, I don't think. Um, I enjoy it. But you know how there are those people that just seem to kind of breeze through summer and come out yeah. looking really really cool and um chic and everything i'm like frizzy haired and hot and bothered and i I enjoy it but even so yeah if we were by a pool recording it i think we'd both be a lot happier wouldn't we and uh beth if you are listening back to this i want you to know that it was natalie jameson your stable mate who kept messaging me going just one more i've got one more just one more (laughs) 
And, you, and she knew you were in the hottest room in the house. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think she'll be fine. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs>